One of my uh, favorite road trips, road trips ever was um, when I finished my uh, Chi Alpha internship, a bunch of the other interns and I um, had to go to this conference in Missouri. So I did my Chi Alpha internship whew, in Bellingham, Washington, which is, um, oh, not the map quite yet. I'll, I will tell you. Sorry. Um, although, now it's fine. Um, and so, anyway, so we did it in Bellingham, Washington, which is way up at the top of the country, and we were, had to go to Springfield, Missouri, which is kind of at the bottom in the middle. And um, so we decided that we would go together. Now, these were a group of people that I was really good friends with. We, um, there's 15 of us who were interns that year. And we worked at a campus where the Chi Alpha group was reaching like more than 500 students on campus. We were leading mission trips and planning social events and taking theological classes. Like these were my, my buds, you know. And at the end of the year, you have to decide whether or not you're going to do um, campus ministry or like vocational work. And about Half of us chose uh, campus ministry. The other half went on to do things like um, everything from firefighting to corporate banking. So I only throw that little detail out there to tell you that the Chi Alpha Internship Program is awesome. It's one year after you graduate. You should consider it. You can do it here at Stanford or at multiple locations around the country. And if you're interested, talk to me after tonight. But we decided that when those of us who were going to go into Chi Alpha had to go to this conference. So what we decide that we're going to drive, and um, we looked into it buying six plane tickets to go to Missouri versus getting a van and driving there. And when you did the math, it seemed like it would work out cheaper for us to drive, plus it would be more exciting. So um, there's an African proverb to this effect, which is, if you want to go fast, go alone, i.e. a three-hour plane trip. But if you want to go far, as in all the way across the country in a minivan with a car top carrier on top filled with stuff and everybody sitting on top of each other, go together like we did. So this was our trip. You can pull the map up. Um, and I am sort of the obsessive compulsive planner. And so as soon as we found out that we're going, I got on, um, probably not Google at that point. I wasn't hip enough. Maybe like MapQuest and figured out like how we could drive and go to the Grand Teton National Park. And then we were going to stop with Dick Schroeder, that guy who was here last month, and spend a night with him and hang out at his house. And then we went to Yellowstone National Park. And we went to my grandma's house in Colorado and hung out with her. and. Then we went all the way on to Springfield. So I had this all figured out and how much it would cost if we all pooled our money and got some food at Costco, right, instead of um, just buying fast food at every place along the way and baking muffins in advance. Surprise, surprise. And um, my friend James found a, are we okay? Yeah. Cool. I think that guy's pretty harmless. Um, my friend James found a van that we could borrow, so we're set, right? Okay, we got all the details under control, got this thing, and um, there's six of us and we picked up a seventh to go in this van from Bellingham to Springfield. Now two details that are really important to share about this trip. The first is is that I was moving so I was taking all of my earthly possessions in the world at that time from my little cubicle of a bedroom in Bellingham and moving them to Colorado in addition to all of the seven or six other people in the van with me who had their um, bedding and um, clothes and books and everything they needed for this two-week conference. So we had a lot of stuff and a lot of people in a very small space, including a car top carrier in this minivan. Okay, so you're getting the visual. And the second thing you need to know is that these were very different kinds of drivers. Okay, so we had Emma who... Um, She'll watch this video. So she basically drives like my great aunt Nancy. Like she is just real slow and like, you know, hands at 10 and 2 and doesn't go over the speed limit and is just very concerned about observing the rules. 
And then there's Kyle, who I knew a little bit about Kyle going into the trip because Kyle and I had co-led a missions team together and he had been in two car accidents in 10 days, and including like backing up into a chain metal fence and running the van that we borrowed from a church into a pole. And so I knew that Kyle wasn't always on. And then there's me who I am an okay driver, but I get more interested in people than I do in like what's happening on the road. As some of you are laughing because you know that. And, and then, you know, there's Jeff who was a missionary kid growing up in Kenya. And so they don't really have traffic laws and he doesn't really understand why they apply. And so, you know, we just kind of got like all of these styles going on. And plus add to that, like we've just spent like one of the most intense years of our life in ministry working together and we're a little bit exhausted anyways. And boom, this is our, oh, and one other detail is that up until this point we weren't allowed to date and now the rule is off. Okay, so yeah, it's just like all of this like stuff is, is happening and there's all these like weird dynamics at play. And um, we, we are, are making our big um, trick, trek across the country. So let's pull the map back up again. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? Okay. You're thinking, Lindsay, this, this sounds like it has the making for hilarious adventures and, and heartfelt conversations and, and deep insights and lasting memories for the rest of your life and embarrassing moments. Yes, you are right. That is exactly what happened. And. I made an arrow for you on the map. That is the place where the magic happened. Now, I know you're all thinking, you're all thinking, Lindsay, the magic? And I'm saying, yes, the magic. Now, the magic, the magic on a road trip happens when everybody just starts to get a little too comfortable with each other, right? You know, like you just, you just kind of start to relax. And then all of a sudden, like somebody tells a joke, it's not funny, but everybody starts laughing really hard, and you don't really know why. And then suddenly, like, someone passes gas, and you have to roll down all the windows, and you're all really embarrassed that it just happened, but then you can't stop laughing, and then somebody else, because you're all eating the same Costco food anyways, and you know that it's bound to happen. And then pretty soon, somebody brings up some incident from their past year that they've really been wanting to talk to you about all along, but they've never felt comfortable enough, and now suddenly they do, but you're trapped inside, and the windows are shut, and you have to be with them, and... <sighs> like it's suddenly this crazy emotional and 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 almost spiritual because people begin sharing truths about who they are and like events and that have happened in their past that you didn't know before and this magic thing happens on a road trip that it's almost like you can you can feel the relationships start to form. And okay, I'm being cheesy and over the top, but it's, it becomes like this tangible thing that, that you're in it together, that there's this experience that you're all, that you're all sharing and, and something is sort of born among friends. Uh, these are my friends. I wanted to show you them because they're great and awesome. And um, these are the, the folks that I went on a road trip with. We had a lot of those magic. Kyle is the guy who tells really bad jokes. He's the boofy hair guy in the back with the big, big curls. And Emma got her feelings hurt and then learned like to forgive. And Hillary, um, she actually told us the story of um, growing up with her um, two mo her moms were lesbians. And um, we hadn't actually talked to her about it before. And so she shared with us like what that was like growing up in her community in Seattle. And James drove 110 miles through a wilderness in Wyoming with the car, top care on top of the car, whistling 
uh, because it sounded like it was just about to pop up and we're all sitting in the back seat screaming like, James, you have to slow down. And he was ready to just be done with this trip. And by the time that we got there, even though the van seemed fuller than it had been before, even though we had eaten our weight in Costco food, there was just this sweet sense of community that was born between us. Well, I tell you this whole big long story about my road trip because I think that, and I know that um, the cheesy police are going to come and arrest me after I say this, but I think that in some ways being in Christian community is a lot like um, being on this road trip together. There's, there's these special ingredients that are at work, right? The first one is that we're spending time together, right? When you're in a road, you are only one seatbelt away from the guy next to you, and that's just how it is. And you're all headed in the same direction. You've decided in advance on a destination where you're going. We're sharing our resources, our gas, our food, our, our car to get there. Um, you're fully present to the moment. There aren't uh, cell phones. Or, well, there are, but it's a little rude. There's, laptop, there's no laptops and no television. So everybody's really engaged in what's happening right where you are. And we're all committed to the journey. You can't really bail. On a, I mean, you could, but you'd end up at a Greyhound station hoping that nobody does anything bad to you in the middle of the night in Nowheresville because you don't have another way to get where you're going. And so there's this sense that we're all, we're all in this thing together. We're committed to the journey. And I think that um, as, we, as we look, of course, this analogy breaks down. It's not perfect as, as you begin to work it out in different ways. But as we look at Acts chapter 2, uh, Glenn talked about last week the incredible story of what happens in chapters 1 and 2, how uh, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and all the people are gathered and, and, and this promise that Jesus had given them is fulfilled. When we begin to look at what happens after that in the story of Jesus, the sequel, Right, We um, get to read uh, this really exciting thing that happens among the people there. So I want to read to you. It's from The Message, which is like the Eugene Peterson jivey version of the Bible. Um, Starting in verse 37, this is the end of Peter's sermon, which Glenn read to us last week. Cut to the quick. Those who were listening asked to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? And Peter said, Change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far the way, whoever, in fact, our master God invites. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptized and signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles, and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. So this is cool, right? I mean, 
Peter finishes his sermon and a whole ton of people respond and suddenly they're, they're living together and they're eating together and they're hanging out and going to hear teaching and they're sharing everything that they have and, and they, there's this, this change that happens among them that if this thing is really real, then, then they want to live out their life in response to it, that it requires a, a response in them and how they live and act and treat toward each other. Now, some people read this passage that we just read and they would think, awesome. Like, Jesus comes and they form a communist cult. Like, this is not something I would ever be interested in being a part of, sharing everything, meeting every day. Like, that demands your whole life. That's really freaky and weird, and I don't understand it. Others of you read this and you're like, cool. Oh, this is why my inbox is full of invitations from people from Chi Alpha every day inviting me to go to dinner and go to parties and go to worship meeting and go to Bible study and da-da-da-da-da. It all makes sense. Like, this is, this is the thing that I've been a part of. But whatever your response, the, the fact remains is that these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and their response was not to return to their singular life, but instead to embrace uh, this life with a community. Now, for those of you who've been around Chi Alpha any length of time, and I know we have some uh, folks who are newer tonight, so you might this might be, not be old news to you, but... Uh, Glenn and I like to describe the model that we use for community life in Chi Alpha using triangles. Okay, yes, the triangles. Okay, there's going to be a quiz later. No, 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 really, there will, so take notes. Um, these triangles, they represent the four activities uh, that we think are really important in Chi Alpha. And so those are the large group, right, which is what we're doing right now, Wednesday night, the worship meeting that we have together. Uh, small groups, which uh, happen throughout the week when we get together to study the Bible. Social activities, which is fun stuff like laser tag and birthday parties and bowling and beach days. And outreach, which is things like the Francis Collins event or going to serve people at Bayshore Christian Ministries. Um, so this is the model of um, what we think is important for us to do. And we see a lot of these things paralleled in this passage about the early church, that it was important for them to eat together, that every day they went and heard the apostles teaching, that they were really committed to going to the temple so that they could worship God, that as they did these things, other people saw what they were doing and marveled at it and wanted to know more about this Jesus that was among them. And so these activities are all are modeled and we see at work in the life of the early church. But as Glenn likes to say, right, this is not anything that a group of equally talented atheists couldn't also do. Or, or just the chess club, right? I mean, why not have like um, chess tournaments and chess info sessions in rural communities to help disadvantaged youths who've never heard of chess and chess parties where everybody gets together and plays chess all the time and, and chess, chess forums where you bring in the world's leading experts on chess to talk about chess to people who are interested in chess. So the only difference between us and a chess club has to come uh, not from our activities and our actions, even though those are good things, but it has to come from the heart. And that's the foundation that we really believe that all of these activities are built upon. We believe that this foundation is made up of three key commitments to God, to the community of faith, and to outsiders, people who aren't a part of the community of faith yet. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, really? The triangles again? Like commitment to God, the community? Okay, like whatever. I know that. Or I've heard this before. Well, guess what? 
I want, to, I want to respond to you a la Paul in his letter to the Philippians when he writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that it is no trouble for me to say the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. It is a safeguard for you to remember that your first and primary commitment has to be to God. That if, if God becomes this set of ideas or these rhetorical arguments that you have by which you order your life, that you've missed the point. It, it's a safeguard for you to remember that the commitment to God is central to what we are as humans. It's what we were created for, our relationship with him learning from him, knowing him, loving him, serving him in, in intangible ways, but also being with him and enjoying him. Our relationship with God and our, our commitment to, to know him and be known by him has to permeate every part of our life here on campus. Our commitment to God has to be central. It's still early enough in the quarter that you can set new habits and patterns if this hasn't become uh, the priority of what you're doing. And what am I saying? Am I saying that you have to take four hours off in the middle of every day for prayer and worship? No, that'd be cool. But I realize that you're at Stanford and you've got a lot going on. But what I am here to tell you is that God is in a box you check off. He's not, he's not a good idea of, of how, well, you know, my life makes more sense like this because this is how I was raised. <coughs> God is a person. He, he's a person who loves you so much that he came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to demonstrate his love for you, even while you rejected him. Jesus wants to know you and be in relationship with you. And if we avoid that or we turn away, if we miss this commitment, we've missed the point. It's a safeguard for you to remember that your commitment to God needs to be a priority. And we could stand up here and preach till we're blue in the face about all the intricacies of the different parts of the Bible, but this is the heart of our message. It's the heart of Jesus' message. It's the reason that he came, because he wanted you to know that God wants a relationship with you and that you are invited to one with him. And so I want to challenge you guys tonight that if this is something where you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, I go to Chi Alpha and I've got all this stuff going on, and, and eventually when I have more time, I'll read my Bible. No, it's not enough. God wants to know you, and, he, and, and he, he wants you to have the joy of being known by him, to lay yourself bare before him, and to enjoy the experience that comes from living life in relationship with the one who created you. And so tonight, remember that your core commitment has to be to God. Our second commitment is to the community. <clears throat> 1 John um, chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. When we accept this invitation to relationship with God, we're part of his family, right? We uh, become his children, and so that makes us brothers and sisters to each other. Now, to some of you, you're like, cool, I always wanted a sister. And then to those of you who had sisters, you're like, really? Like, I don't know. That sounds like such a good deal. But let me tell you what, this is, this is where some of the road trip mentality comes into the life of the early church, the, the living the life together, the sharing everything that you have in common, the, um, the experiencing the joy of, of community. And I just want to exhort you that you guys are really good at this. And I've asked um, Jessica if she would come and just share a testimony of how the community at Chi Alpha has um, been a blessing to her this year. Yeah. Um, I see that.
this. I see this this love at work among. I see it when Aaron and Paul invite you to a love feast. In fact, one of the books that I found while I was getting ready this week that I really liked is, before you eat or drink anything, consider carefully who you eat or drink with rather than what you eat or drink. For feeding without a friend is the life of a lion or a wolf. <laughs> so this is, not, this is not condemnation for grabbing a Subway sandwich at Tresitor before class. But what I am saying is that if we have to eat anyways, it might as well be a time where we break bread together and share life together. Can I let you know a little secret? There will be no time at life where it will be easier for you to have dinner with your friends than right now. So make the most of this opportunity and enjoy the breaking of bread together. Uh, I see community at work when Alan says, hey, I have a car, but I just wanna let you guys know that anybody can use it, anybody who wants to, and that's really cool. I see uh, when Dewen sends out an email to the chat list that says that there's a need in Bulgaria, and is there anybody here who could help us meet it? That's where I see this community. And even when Christina sends an email and says that she needs somebody to help her go grocery shopping, that's where I see this community at work. I think that in a community of Christ followers, it's really easy for us to wrap our minds around the idea of, of sharing, of giving, but sometimes it's a little harder for us to realize that we also have to be not afraid of asking and receiving. Uh, in the community of Christ, we can't withhold ourselves from each other. That's what this holding all of your possessions and being together stuff is all about. There's this sense in which I'm free to let you know not just what I can give to you, but also what I need from you, what my weaknesses are, what my vulnerabilities are, and the way in which you and I can work together uh, to become a better whole than we could be apart. St. Teresa of Avila was a Spanish Catholic nun in the 1500s, and she was known for her mystical experiences of God. She wrote this about her desire for community with other believers. Dispel my illusions by telling the truth, for truths of this sort are rarely told. I wish that we five, who now love each other in Christ, could make some such arrangement. Just as others have, in recent times, been meeting together in secret to plot wickedness and heresies against his majesty, so we might arrange to come together now and then in order to dispel one another's illusions and to advise one another of ways in which we could improve ourselves and be more pleasing to God. For no one knows himself so well as those who observe him, provided that they do so lovingly and with a wish to do him good. By allowing others to see us for who we really are, we, we can become the people that we were really meant to be. But it's hard. It's, it's hard to think about really letting people in and, and really letting our hair down and, and having those moments where we're like, you know what, I'm not all together. Or I'm actually not even shy, I just haven't known how to talk around you. Or you really intimidate me. Or, or all of these like insecurities that we keep bottled up and we, we kind of live our lives in this little box because we think that there is no other way to live. And Jesus invites us to be free. He says that when we come into this community that we can give and receive from each other in the same way that a body gives and receives from all of its various parts, that where one is weak, the other is made strong. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. I see you guys being really good at the sharing, but I want you to know that the invitation here is also to receive. And in order to do that, it's going to require vulnerability. And so I want to encourage you guys that even though this is something that's easy to do at Stanford because it's really cool to be the best and in control and in charge, that we're here 
to be a family to you and that if there was any place where you could find uh, healing and a place where you can be free to be who you uh, really are, weaknesses and warts and sin and dirty, yuckiness and all, this is the place. It's no trouble for me to tell you these things again and it's a safeguard for you to know that this commitment to community is crucial if you're going to become the person that Jesus created you to be. It's a beautiful thing. Psalm 33, we're going to read the whole thing. It's really short. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, running down on the collar. It's running down. (laughs) (laughs) It's as if it was the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When we live together the way that we're supposed to, God's blessing is there, and it's life-giving, and it's, it's life-affirming for us to be a community that's in unity. Without, um, my friend Taylor used to say, without, commu- without unity, it's just calm. Um, <laughs> Acts tells us that, that people like what they saw when they saw Christians living together in this way in Acts chapter 2. We read in verses 46 and 47. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. It wasn't perfect. Okay, I'm going to let you in on the secret. As the book goes on, you see that they start to get in fights over money and who's taking care of the widows and food and what kind of food it is and is it okay to eat and circumcision and whether or not you have to do that. And there were <coughs> times where people who were ministering together had to go there on separate ways because of their styles and their preferences and the things that they thought were important to do. But at the heart of all of these things was this commitment to a community that would vibrantly represent Jesus in a world that didn't know him yet. And I want to tell you today that the same is true now in the place where we live. The Bible promises that when we live the way that we're supposed to, that other people will see and know that God is who he says he is. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus talking, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We have to be committed to sharing this reality of the experience that Glenn talked about last week. If you're a Christ follower, it's because you've chosen to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That's exciting. And the implications of that are huge that it's going gonna, it's gonna to change your, your whole life. And so our call then, our response to that, is to live a life among other people that lets them know that this is the real deal. And the way that we do that is by maintaining our commitment to God, our commitment to the community, and being mindful of this commitment to let uh, this light shine to other people. What is a light? It illuminates. It, it reveals. It helps people to see things for what they really are. And we are the light of God to the world. We're meant to help people understand who God is in the person of Jesus. Don't, don't check out yet. You might have senior-itis and be totally just thinking about what happens when you graduate. And if, you, might, you might just have summer-itis. Like, uh, summer is in two months, and I'm going to be doing something different in the next season, and I'm just going to coast on through the rest of my you know, quarter here, and my classes are easier, and blah, 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 blah. We're only here for such a short time, and this is your opportunity to be a city on a hill, to to be a light to the world that desperately needs the light, the hope that's found in Jesus. And so we have to have this commitment. We can't check out yet. It's no trouble for me to remind you of these things, and it's a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you to remember that you have to be committed to being God's light to those who he's asked us to be a light to. If the worship team would come back up. There's three commitments a commitment to God, 
a commitment to the community, and a commitment to outsiders. So I want to ask you tonight, are you enjoying God? Are you, are you allowing thoughts of him to, to permeate all of the different parts of your life? Is he your friend that, that goes with you where you go? Is he, is he the judge who you turn to with, with questions? Is he the father you trust in times of trouble? Are you allowing God to have the right place of priorities in your heart? It's a great time in the quarter to set new habits, set new patterns, make new priorities if you haven't done it yet. Are you connected to community the way that you should be? Are you allowing people to give to you and, and to receive from them? Are you free and not withholding yourself so that you can fully be a part of the community in the way that Christ realized it for his church? Are you committed to outsiders? I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this group of believers, for this, this group on campus where we can meet, Lord, and, and think about you and honor you. Lord, not just with our mouths, but with our minds, with our hearts, with our actions. Lord, we pray tonight that you would that you would order our hearts in right priority with what your priorities are, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the incredible reality that you loved us so much that you came to show us how to live. Lord, help us to understand the depth of that love. God, that, that when we think about Jesus, when we reflect on his sacrifice, when we reflect on the triumph of his resurrection and the implications for that for our future, when we reflect on the reality of the Holy Spirit come to live in us, Lord, let us be excited and joyful and exuberant in the way those early believers were. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to rightly understand who you are so that our lives could be lived rightly in response to that to you. Jesus, we want to have hearts that are committed to you. And so we pray tonight, God, that you would reorder our priorities and help us to have hearts that reflect your heart. We love you, Lord. Amen. 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 Jesus.